How major media outlets suppressed my COVID journalism. Commentary. The COVID-19 emergency has at last come to an end as even the most restrictive countries the United States most recently have lifted draconian COVID mandates. Freedom has been restored, but the pandemic has left an indelible mark on the bedrock institutions of our society. The corruption of the FDA, CDC, the White House, Big Pharma has been undeniably exposed a topic I have exhaustively covered for over a year. Notably, journalism the filter through which ordinary people living busy lives come to understand the complex matrix of power, money, and influence has also been exposed for its bizarre servility to public health decrees and pharmaceutical companies. Writing for the most prominent journalistic outlets since 2020, I saw the decay from the inside. Though I have been hesitant to share my experiences of colliding with the inner machinery of media for my reputational and financial security, I now feel galvanized to lay it on the table after starting this new substack with Dr. J. Bhattacharya. One of the reasons I unexpectedly found myself in the journalism industry was the real possibility of speaking truth to power, presenting radically novel perspectives, and challenging institutional orthodoxy. My first major forays into the industry were on topics such as how my experiences with racism from childhood inform my view of race relations, how white guilt and identity politics corrupts our discourse, and how 2020 Black Lives Matter riots wreaked havoc in poor, minority communities. Pieces that I'm perhaps most proud of are the explosion of inner-city violence in Minneapolis in the aftermath of George Floyd and the new phenomenon of Asian women out-earning white men in the United States. My heterodoxy and unwavering commitment to the truth whether that made me look right-wing, left-wing, or just an artsy weirdo didn't land me a weekly New York Times column, but it did grant me spots in a number of top liberal and conservative-leaning outlets, such as the New York Post. The Globe and Mail, Foreign Policy Magazine, the Grammys, and others. Until it didn't. Having taken the heretical line on race, gender, policing, I thought I was immunized from editorial censorship. But as the pandemic became increasingly politicized through 2021 and 2022 with the rollout of vaccines and public mandates, our society seemed to plunge into further collective psychosis as spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle has perspicaciously observed. For the first year and a half of the pandemic, I didn't take any public stance on what was a complex epidemiological issue requiring legitimate expertise to navigate. Besides, I was regularly writing about race, BLM, and policing in the summer of 2020. Then, in the summer of 2021 Justin Trudeau and provincial leaders announced vaccine mandates across the country. Suddenly, going to the gym, restaurants, and large gatherings was conditional on taking a novel mRNA vaccine for a virus that posed less than a 0.003% mortality risk for people my age. I started to examine whether this was the right medical decision for my health. Upon close scrutiny of the best available data, I came away thinking it was not. I didn't think the COVID vaccine would be an instant death sentence for me, but I didn't see clear evidence of benefit for healthy people in their 20s. It also just happened to be the case that I fell in the very demographic that was most at risk of developing a serious vaccine side effect myocarditis or pericarditis. 
Among the most rigorous, comprehensive data we have on vaccine myocarditis is from Dr. Katie Scharf who analyzed a database from Kaiser Permanente. She found a 1-1-862 rate of myocarditis after the second dose in young men ages 18 to 24. For boys ages 12 to 17, the rate was 1-1-650. Active surveillance monitoring in Hong Kong shows virtually identical figures. Confused and looking for clarity, I reached out to Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who was among the most sensible public health policy advocates throughout the pandemic, and he validated my serious concerns of vaccine safety and draconian public health policy more broadly. Frustrated by the government coercing me into taking a medical procedure that was not in my best interest, I resolved to write about this injustice in the several outlets who had previously published my work. Right away, I faced tremendous resistance of the kind that I never expected. The rejection I experienced when pitching a wide variety of pieces on COVID mandates reported, opinionated, based on the views of credentialed scientific experts etc. was unprecedented. Even editors who I deemed as allies publishing polarizing pieces such as The Fallacies of White Privilege or Why Robin D'Angelo's Last Popular Racism Guidebook Promotes a Dehumanizing Form of Condescension Towards Racial Minorities were averse to my work questioning scientifically dubious vaccine mandate policies on the grounds of bodily autonomy and medical freedom. Many editors explicitly stated their outlets were pro-vaccine and didn't want to run anything that may promote an iota of vaccine hesitancy even in young, healthy groups for which we still have no data on reduction in severe disease or death. One editor responded to my pitch on the lack of epidemiological basis for vaccine mandates with the following. This paper has been encouraging COVID vaccination for everyone. We don't want to promote vaccine hesitancy that will get people seriously ill and killed. Journalists need to be responsible in not sowing distrust in public health guidelines that are meant to keep us safe. Another editor made it painfully clear, after a handful of unsuccessful pitches, that the publication as a whole was not keen on publishing anything that deviated from the CDC and FDA's Universal Vaccine Advisory. I'm going to pass. As I've said many times before, we are a pro-vaccination newspaper, and personally, I just wish everyone would get vaccinated already. While I respect your decision not to do so, I'm not keen on op-eds that even appear like they're arguing against vaccination for COVID or anything else. Trying to figure out a way to capitalize on a hot news story as every freelancer learns how to do I started sending pitches on viral stories of athletes being barred from competition due to their personal choice not to get vaccinated. In response to my proposal on tennis star Novak Djokovic's debacle, one editor expressed his utter contempt for Djokovic. In no way do I want a piece supporting people who refuse to get vaccinated. In my opinion, people such as Djokovic, who refuse to get vaxxed, make their own beds and should lie in it. They are not heroes. On my pitch about NBA star Kyrie Irving, who had to sit out several games for the Brooklyn Nets because of some undefined risk he posed to society as an unvaccinated player, an editor I was very close with made her profound disagreement undoubtedly clear. Sorry Rav, but I vehemently disagree with you on this issue. Feel free to pitch elsewhere. 
Kyrie Irving refused to help the public get out of the pandemic and now he's suffering the consequences. It's on him. On a couple of occasions, I attempted to cover the perpetually escalating Joe Rogan COVID controversy. In my several pitches, I took various angles such as how many credentialed scientific experts such as Bhattacharya, Makari, Prasad, and others were more in line with Rogan's anti-mandate views than the government and public health agencies were. Here are two editor responses I received when pitching a story on the bizarre controversy of Rogan's comments that young people in their 20s didn't need to take the COVID vaccine. Rav, we are not interested in running stories like this. I think Rogan is actively endangering the lives of children and young adults with his anti-vaccine propaganda, and you need to be more responsible in your coverage as a journalist. I'm not interested in the Rogan story. It could too easily be construed as anti-vaccine, and we want to steer well clear of that. I don't want any ambiguity on the issue. Top of form. One publication, whose whole mission has been from the start to expose and dismantle institutional orthodoxy, uncritically took the mainstream view on vaccine recommendations as gospel. This editor, who had platformed my work explaining the oft-justifiability of police shootings of highly violent, threatening suspects which, again, was in line with their anti-mainstream view opposed any view critical of vaccine mandates. In response to one of my pitches on the downplayed risk of vaccine-induced myocarditis in young men, he responded. Rav, sorry but we're not going to run any anti-vaccine pieces. I think the risk is totally overblown and amplified by right-wing pundits who have no concern for public health. These are the safest vaccines we've ever had and virtually everyone seeks to benefit. None of this was based on rigorous scientific analysis, it was all premised on a naive trust in public health authorities and pharmaceutical companies. As it turns out, the mRNA vaccines are, by all current accounts, the most dangerous government-promoted pharmaceutical products in history. Frahman and colleagues' independent analysis of Pfizer and Moderna's safety data in the medical journal Vaccine shows that mRNA COVID vaccines are associated with a 1 in 800 adverse event rate substantially higher than other vaccines on the market. Due to the increasing censorship I faced, I ended up self-publishing my vaccine myocarditis investigations, including one story on how a 38-year-old law enforcement member in my area, who almost died from acute vaccine-induced myocarditis after he was forced to get double-jabbed against his will. At a time when government officials and public health bureaucrats are actively misleading the public, it is the media's crucial responsibility to hold them accountable. Unchecked power when unrecognized by the masses metastasizes and devolves into tyrannical control. This is how you get the FDA approving and recommending the new bivalent booster shot to all Americans as young as six months old based on lab testing in eight mice. When the media fails, civilization begins to unwind. The powerful get away with more corruption and media homogeneity solidifies, congeals, and becomes increasingly treacherous to question. This has been my experience over the past two years. An industry already compromised in the age of Trump and wokeism completely fell apart during a global pandemic. My collisions with this inner machinery are not merely a story of left-wing media bias, 
but as I alluded to several times people working in even alternative and right-leaning media spaces refusing to air any form of refutation of authoritarian public health mandates. This is why traditional left-versus-right paradigms are obsolete. Many conservatives bought the public health propaganda wholesale, while a number of traditionally progressive thinkers such as Russell Brand, Matt Taibai, Jimmy Dore, and Glenn Greenwald vigorously objected to COVID mandates on the basis of foundational, societal principles. I have largely abstained from sharing my visceral feelings on the demoralizing rejection I faced for two years as a previously welcomed journalist in major outlets, but suffice it to say I felt incredibly trapped, helpless, vexed, and lost. Some of the aforementioned editors recommended I stick to stories on cancel culture, identity politics, race, and the rest. While all those issues remain deeply concerning, the proposition of being pigeonholed in one specific topic while being censored in another that is far more alarming on a societal level was repugnant to me. I refuse to be censored. I won't perpetually write stories about wokeism spiraling out of control in liberal sectors of society in order to gain clicks and a steady paycheck on conservative websites who want to feed their readers only one narrative. Today, I am no longer indignant and hopeless, waiting for one of my previous editors to offer me an opportunity again. I have now started my new, independent venture on this platform The Illusion of Consensus and am looking forward to bringing new, exciting content to my readers. Thank you to those who helped share and amplify the several stories I independently wrote on my personal substack such as Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, and Glenn Greenwald. As I progress in my ever-evolving journalistic path to expose the truth, I hope you will continue to support my work. Republished with permission from the Illusion of Consensus Substack and Podcast.